Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people, your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. This is Marin Costello Radio. we have an amazing guest on the show today. Laura Ehrlich began her career in holistic wellness after studying traditional Chinese medicine with an emphasis on fertility and obstetric care. After graduating summa cum laude from Emperor's College, she founded Mother Nurture Wellness, a Los Angeles-based women's health practice specializing in fertility optimization, pregnancy, and postpartum care. As an health professional for over 20 years, Laura has helped thousands of families grow by creating a custom roadmap that targets each individual's need for nutrition, supplementation, herbal medicine, acupuncture, meditation, mentorship, and beyond. In 2015, Laura also co-authored Feed Your Fertility, a guide to cultivating a healthy pregnancy with Chinese medicine, real food, and healthy living. Laura, you are so impressive. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It's so great to be here. I feel like everyone needs a Laura. (laughs) Even Laura needs a Laura. (laughs) Right? Okay, so that's a great question to start the show off. What does your support system look like? What does your, who who are all of your Laura's? Oh, wow. Um, I would say that that's sort of an ever-evolving thing. Um. My husband is probably my primary Laura. <laughs> I love um, that. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's lovely. Um, we take good care of each other in that sort of emotional way, and I have a lot of lifelong wonderful friends in that capacity too. My sister is my lifeline, probably like number one sounding board for everything. Um, you know from the most mundane to the most intense things in life. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, variety of different, I'm, I, my relationship to wellness is changing, even though I'm a wellness practitioner. So I no longer necessarily feel like, you know, I need a massage or even an acupuncture treatment per se to feel cared for. Although there are times when that's really appropriate for me. So as well. So Certainly, I have those people in my life as well. I have a wonderful acupuncturist that I work with. Um, you know, I have so many colleagues and peers that I'm able to consult with if I need help with a specific thing or in terms of creating an herbal formulation or something for myself. So it's it can also sometimes be, and I know this is true in every profession that, you know, the what's the saying? The cobbler's kids have like the most messed up shoes. Yeah. and so <laughs> or the worst shoes or whatever so yeah you know that could I have to remind myself too that to to take my own medicine sometimes so I think that my my number one objective is just to try to like walk the same walk that I'm trying to um, help other people discover you've been doing this a lot longer than you've had your son sort of ish. So I started, I, yes, yes. And no is the answer to that question. I did start in holistic wellness when I was in 1998. It was when I first got my, um, 
licensed to do massage therapy. And I right away became a doula after that. So I, I was doing both of those things for about eight years before I had my son. I started my acupuncture medical school degree in 2002, and I graduated in 2006. And then I had my son like 20 seconds later, like I, I was 35 weeks pregnant when I sat for the state licensing exam. Wow. Um, <clears throat> it was quite an event because it was up in Sacramento and I live in Los Angeles. So it was just like this whole situation. I had great friends who definitely like ushered me through that, you know, just praying. I'm not going to go into labor in the middle of this test. Um, <clears throat> and then my son was born um, on March 3rd and I got my license in the mail on like the 17th. So I kind wow. of, I, I always joke that I like gave birth to twins. I had a baby and a business that, arrived at right at the same time. And I kind of like had to raise them both from infancy <laughs> concurrently. So, so in some ways we've been doing this together since the, you know, very beginning. And then, but I did kind of have that prior career that didn't include the Chinese medicine part. So during your pregnancy, <clears throat> were you applying what you were learning in school to what was going on? Cause it was, this was essentially happening in real time. I think my <laughs> original question for you was, what did you learn during your own pregnancy? It was kind of like you were on your, your, you were your own guinea pig. Totally. I actually never really thought of it that way, but I was in real time sort of getting to experience from, from my mentors and my, you know, supervisors. I was in the, in the clinic at the university I was attending, you know, like twice a week for acupuncture. So I did really get to have that experience of, going through my, really my entire pregnancy. I mean, I think I called my supervisor, my, who was my dear friend and mentor before I even called like a midwife, you're a doctor um, to say, this is what's happening. Do you think it's real? You know what I mean? Um, so yeah. So I really did go through my whole pregnancy experiencing acupuncture, you know, usually a couple of times a week because I had that access. Not everybody does that. I just happened to be a student at the time and, I took herbal medicine throughout my pregnancy. Um, I had a really, as, as it goes, I had a really great birth and I do um, to the extent that you can use those two words in the same sentence, cause it's quite a gnarly experience, but it, but also like it was such a wonderful and profound experience. And I did get to kind of apply my, I mean, I remember being in labor and thinking to myself, I can't believe I ever helped support anyone in labor. <laughs> <laughs> Who was I before having this experience, you know, to like be like, you should breathe and relax. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it was so wild and intense. And I'm so grateful that I did have the experience uh, of a full unmedicated childbirth, not because I think it's superior in any way, honestly, but because you can't, you can't have that experience. I only had one child. And so I couldn't get back to that experience without um, having another kid, obviously. And I, I'm grateful that I kind of fully understand what it is. Um, and I also have complete respect and reverence for anybody who decides to do it a different way, because it's, it's not for the faint of heart. There were definitely moments throughout my labor. I was looking for the car keys because I was I was at home with a midwife, a wonderful, amazing nurse midwife who, from a healthcare perspective, I couldn't have felt more loved and supported and cared for. But 
on a physical level was like, y'all have got to be kidding. Let's go. Um, but, they, <laughs> but they kept me in line and they, you know, they kind of got me through those really hard moments, kind of the walls that I hit. And then my son was born and I'm very grateful that I did get to kind of experience the whole thing so that now when I am supporting people at whatever stage they're, they are at, I really can relate to what they're going through in my own, from my own experience, not just my own physical experience, not just my professional experience. What is the difference between a doula and a midwife? Um, a, that's a great question because a lot of people don't fully understand the difference. So a doula is a completely un, non-clinical role. The role of a doula is to show up and be present for a, a birthing person or their, you know, their family. Um, kind of from the beginning of labor to the end. So it's it's a so somebody who shows up to provide physical, mental, and emotional support to help kind of troubleshoot decisions that might arise, help to figure out when to go to the hospital when, you know, someone's laboring at home, um, and to provide some postpartum support. A midwife is really an obstetrician with slightly different skill set and different um, access to med different types of medications, meaning most, there are two types of midwives as well. There are midwives who practice home births and they can either be nurse midwives or they can be what we call lay, lay midwives or professional midwives or direct entry midwives. And all that means is that they don't have a nursing degree, but they're fully trained to attend birth. Nurse midwives sometimes will work in hospitals as well. And they are able to you know, attend births in the hospital, they just can't do procedures. So they can't do things like episiotomies or C-sections or vacuum delivery, but they can do all the rest. And at home, a midwife is providing all the same care that you get from an OBGYN. So you do all your prenatal care. They're there for the birth. They're monitoring the baby. They're, their primary objective is to get the woman and the child through the birthing experience healthy. Um, so they're really the primary care provider and they're providing all the medical expertise and they can really do just about everything up to, you know, they can't provide an epidural or any narcotics. So if you choose to have give birth at home, you are using more natural pain techniques, but then they also always have a pathway to get you to the hospital. So, you know, midwives are very skilled at detecting when it's time to transport. Not every home birth works out and and so there's, there's all, there should always be in place a pathway where everyone decides, okay, you know, non-emergent, but things are not progressing properly. We need to get ourselves to the hospital. At what point would you suggest home birth versus hospital birth? Or is it just personal preference from the client? Um, well, it's definitely personal preference, but a lot of times people don't under, don't know that they have options because at least in the U.S., it's really not a very well, um, highly, it's not a very highly regarded way of giving birth. And that is far more political than anything else. If you look at countries with universal health care, you'll see that the majority of uh, not the, sorry, not the majority, but that um, there's a significantly higher rate of home birth and they have the lowest rates of C-sections and maternal mortality rates, infant mortality rates. So the more we respect women's birthing choices, the e more easy, more, the more easily um, 
they're they are able to birth without unnecessary interventions or without excessive c-section rates for example so here in the u.s because we have this for-profit care system OBGYNs take all the cases, you know, they like take the low risk cases, whereas in non-for-profit healthcare systems, like throughout the European Union, Australia, uh, you know, lots of countries around the world, that midwives are, are the first line of defense. So whether mm -hmm. you're choosing a home birth or a hospital birth, you don't necessarily pick your care provider per se. You may have the same person doing your prenatal care. When you arrive at the hospital though, in most instances, I think you kind of get what you get and you, the care provider there is who's gonna help you give birth. And if there is a necessary intervention, the patient requires you know, a vacuum delivery or forceps or a, even an epidural or an episiotomy or a C-section. At that point, whoever the laborist is in the hospital would then step in and provide that more high level care. So there's sort of two tiers of obstetric care that within the midwifery care is really for the low risk patients. And the, most, the majority of people giving birth are, are low risk. Here in America, we in the United States of America, we tend to really push this idea that birth is a, you know, serious problem that needs to be solved by a doctor, that you're sick when you're in labor, that intervention is what's going to save you and your baby. But and it's not a natural process. And that it's not a natural <laughs> process and your body's a lemon and it's not going to do this right. And, you know, you need all these things or your baby's never going to come out. Uh, and so we're just taught that that's from early on, that that's how it is. And so people really lose out on the opportunity to experience what their body is capable of, or just to make the autonomous decision that I choose not to have that physical experience. So um, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's an ever evolving and complex problem that we have here in the U S because also OBs have it so hard here. If you think about the structure and the setup, like the obstetricians in these countries where midwives are providing the first line of defense, these doctors are getting to live a fairly balanced life. Whereas here we have doctors just in order to make ends meet because there's so much staff required if you're an OB. There's so many, their, their malpractice overhead is bonkers. Mm -hmm. And with all of that, they're required often to take on these very large caseloads because insurance reimbursement rates for obstetricians are often lower than what a doula makes in that wow. same birth. And so you can't get called out of bed every night at three o'clock in the morning. It's just not possible. These are human beings who have families and lives outside of their work. And so what you find starting to happen is, you know, doctors wanting to induce patients on certain days of the week or do C-sections on certain days of the week or feeling like they need all their patients to be in labor by X, Y date so that they can be ready for the next cohort. And I mean, I, I have no, I, I say all of that with no judgment. It's a virtually impossible situation, but I do think patients should be aware of that. And as you're making choices for your birth, you know, that's at least in, a, in the US, a real reason to have a doula because right. you just don't know what you're going to get when you walk through that hospital door. You're going to get, you know, a doctor who's run ragged and been up every night for a week and who's going to have be really impatient about things. Does your practice have a good on-call system so doctors are rotating? And are you aware that means your doctor might not be present? 
Um, you know, there's all kinds of variations here. So I think it's just really important to be educated going into the, to the process. And that's a lot of the work I do with my patients once they are pregnant is sort of continue to offer care throughout the pregnancy and to be that sounding board to, for the people to be able to understand, you know, what different things mean along the way as they're getting their prenatal care. And then, you know, really trying to work with people to at the very least begin begin labor spontaneously. There's a pro profoundly high rate of induction right now. Um, and earlier inductions are really, really common these days at like 39 mm -hmm. weeks. And so I do think when women are able to initiate labor intrinsically inside their own bodies and actually get to the hospital in labor, that it sometimes is a, a better experience than being fully induced. Of course, induction is really important when it's medically necessary, but you know, routine induction, just because someone would like to be done being pregnant is pro incredibly kind of the norm these days. And so there, I think there are, can be some problems with that approach. This is so fascinating. What was your first experience with the childbirthing process? Not just personal, but exposure to it. Yeah. So when I, um, when I finished my massage licensing degree, which in New York is really intense, you go to school for a year, it's like a thousand hour program, which is quite a lot for massage therapy. And I became really interested at that time in prenatal massage in part because a couple of my instructors were prenatal massage therapists. And it was really early days of doulas kind of becoming a presence in the hospital system in the United States. And there was a doula who was one of my instructors, as well as a couple of other women who were massage instructors and doulas, and they were studying to be midwives. And so as soon as I finished that program, I can't really articulate why I was so drawn to working with pregnancy and fertility, but it, it's like it happened to me, not I didn't pick it. And that just was really evident right from the get-go. And so I just sought out these women and I started apprenticing with um in particular this this couple of midwives or doulas who were studying to become midwives. And I was attending a it was a a class about labor massage, you know, how to, how to support somebody physically during the labor process. And it just so happened that a woman came into their center that morning in labor and they were also acupuncture. They had, one of them was an acupuncturist as well. And so we all sat there and watched them do this acupuncture treatment on this woman who was trying to get her labor to pick up because I think her water had broken or something. And I kind of watched it happen. I like right before my eyes, watched this woman go from a really latent labor to what felt like a much more active labor pattern. And I was just kind of hooked at that point that I really wanted to be a part of that. And so very shortly after that, I did my doula certification. And then I just started attending births. You know, I, I had moved, had moved back to Los Angeles um, about a year after I, I started apprenticing with them. And that I got my doula certification here in LA and then just started reaching out to friends and anyone who knew anyone. And um, I got really lucky at the beginning. And so far as I was able to, like my first three births really were, uh, I had a, attended a C-section. My first birth was a C-section. Wow. Um, and I got to be in the OR and, you know, be, see the whole thing. It happened to be my best friend at the time, you know, my best friend's labor unexpected early labor. Um, the second one was like a regular epidural birth. So I got to really witness that. And the third one was a home birth. So 
I felt like, you know, the universe was just sort of like, this is what all the things look like. I got to see them all. And then I was sort of off to the races from there. Um, and then a few years later, I met uh, a woman at a birth who ended up really being my mentor in the birthing realm. And that's when things really shifted for me because I really learned, I really started to understand sort of the profound emotional um, growth that can come from pregnancy and birth. And honestly, no matter how the birth goes, it there's just such a profound opportunity for personal shifting, not to mention the tremendous archetypal shift from, you know, into motherhood. Um, and so that was when it all started to come together. I think for me was the, the emotional, the kind of psycho emotional aspect of labor and birth. Um, and it was right around that time that I then started acupuncture school and sort of went through that program through this really specific lens, which is not what most people do. Most people go to just get that sort of general education, but I was already so entrenched in what I was doing that I kind of sought out every supervisor and mentor that I could that who specialized in women's health and infertility. And at that time, again, I just got lucky in a lot of different places in my career too, because I sort of got in at the beginning of things totally unintentionally, you know, the doula profession was really just starting to grow. I joke here in LA that I'm like one of the dinosaur doulas because <laughs> there are so many doulas now, you know, it's been 25 years since yeah. I first started doing this. And so I'm like, I, I'm so old in that part of the, that part of my profession. Um, but, you know, when I got to acupuncture school, I also was, it was really the early days of specialization within the field here in the U.S. and particularly the um, specialty of infertility started really getting a lot of focus. There was some data, some research that came out that really showed that acupuncture was improving implantation rates um, around IVF transfer. And that kind of brought acupuncture for fertility into the limelight for a while. And so I just kind of got to study with people who were at the really pioneering this specialty and have been able to parlay that into my own specialty. And now I'm like the one doing the teaching. So it's been really, it's been a really fun trajectory in that way. I imagine that there's so many different modalities that still exist that you know, maybe aren't part of your practice yet. How do you stay relevant and continue learning and lean into, you know, different information that's still out there to help your patients? I mean, I do think that the learning never stops. The amazing thing about Chinese medicine in particular is that it is, I mean, I could sit here and study every second for the rest of my life and I would still be scratching the surface. There's so much to learn. So I don't, I no longer, at, at least at this moment, feel particularly compelled to like go get another degree in a different field. I'm actually pursuing my doctorate in Chinese medicine right now. And so that's kind of allowing me to get a, a little bit more um, in depth around things like lab um, you know, lab interpretation, which I already do, but it's always good to get that like even deeper understanding, especially around tests that I'm not necessarily that exposed to all the time because of my own specialty or whatever. I'm learning a lot more about research and, you know, studying 
how to make sure that we're all properly interpreting research. Um, and then herbal medicine, you know, really is its own other complete system it, within Chinese medicine. It's quite different than Western herbs or herbs that are practiced in other traditions. And that truly is a lifelong pursuit. I mean, I'm just like always <clears throat> taking classes and studying and trying to understand how to help people because it is a really wonderful medicine when it's used properly and um, it can provide it can provide a pathway to healing for certain conditions that western medicine just can't quite get at that you know that hasn't figured out how to solve for people chronic conditions especially um, and also things like pregnancy honestly where people are just sort of left to deal with a lot of the ailments that come up and Chinese medicine can genuinely provide relief and, you know, help people overcome some pregnancy complications, never at, in instead of Western medicine, but in conjunction with Western medicine. I can really, I, I think when the two modalities are used together, um, that it can provide kind of a next level of healing for people than just when one or the other is used alone. When, you know, when it becomes necessary to combine them, it's a really powerful combination. I think it is so impressive and also just insane that in your in your spare time you're also going to get your doctorate. <laughs> I know. Oh my god, it's so crazy. And I don't want to sound like a, I mean, so that I feel like I should clarify that too. That <laughs> when I started acupuncture school, the terminal degree was a master's degree. Since I have been in practice now for the last fifteen years, some things have changed, and now there's a the way that new people are coming into the field, they are able to go right into their doctorate. And so what the profession has offered is for those of dinosaurs, of uh, those of us who are dinosaurs, we are able to go back to school for about a year and take a series of courses to get sufficient number of hours to then now get the same title that the newbies coming in are essentially um, getting. So I'm not doing a dissertation or a thesis or anything crazy. I'm completing my hours that allows me to use the the title of doctor and to be a doctor. I, it's not changing that much. I don't feel like um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not that insane. I'm not like pursuing a doctorate in classical Chinese history and writing a thesis or anything. I say that with the utmost level of reverence, only because, of course, you know, as someone who has a laundry list of accomplishments is like, let's just add a few more letters to the end of it. <laughs> I know. So, it's pretty funny. Speaking of your resume, I would love for you to share all the different parts of your ecosystem that have created your holistic health world, because you do so many different things and reach people in so many different avenues. Sure. So up until very recently, really until the pandemic, my primary um, mode of reaching people was in my private practice where I practice acupuncture herbs. And up until 2020 was still attending births. However, the way things have shifted for me now, it's not really anything. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, Although one day I'm going to lose it and be like, I'm coming to your birth because I really do miss <laughs> it. But it's really hard to it's really hard to like drop life at this point for sometimes a day or even two at no notice. Um, so it, that's become a challenge. But I still do love 
everything about birth and get getting to be around it in any way that I can. Sometimes I get to show up and do a little acupuncture at a labor um, without being like the full doula there for the whole thing. I love when that happens. So um, I also, because I kind of had this early specialization, I was able to start teaching within my field about five years into my practice because I was really further into the profession than most people on average at that point. And so I started providing webinar courses um, about fertility and obstetrics. And I was co-teaching with a mentor of mine at the beginning and kind of got my sea legs. And that teaching opened a door to be able to write a book. And so I wrote Future Fertility in 2015. And then, you know, just really continued to pursue my private practice as well as teach, continued to teach. And I um, do teach in one of the doctoral programs here in Los Angeles for acupuncturists who are aspiring to get their doctoral degrees. And so from that teaching, um, during the pandemic, when I was sort of like, okay, I have to figure out here, you know, all, all of us who have brick and mortar businesses had to do a lot of thinking on our feet really quickly. And um, I essentially decided, okay, it's time for me to get take the teaching stuff to another level so I can have a, a few different revenue streams and different ways to access people when I can't actually go to my office because there was a period of time where I had to close altogether. And so I did two things during that time. I took the, the didactic coursework that I had had created already for um, all of my doctoral students and essentially transformed it into a public facing course that is way shorter <laughs> than what I torture my, my um, professional students with, but that takes people through all of the things that they would get from working with me over a period of time. So, you know, how to prepare for pregnancy, how to time, if you're trying to conceive naturally, how to time intercourse for both, both partners, um, nutrition and supplements and, um, you know, how to take care of yourself emotionally during this period of time. And then sort of the course then gets into like, what are red flags around fertility? When, when should you seek help? What does that help look like if you need it? Um, and so there's, it's broken down into six modules so that people can really get that access to stuff that I am talking about all day in the treatment room or in my, I, and I kind of have some coaching one-on-one -on -one coaching stuff happening. Um, that's similar, you know, kind of around that information, but not everybody can afford that. Not everybody has time for that. <clears throat> and so it's, the course really comes from a place of just wanting to be able to disseminate and share that information in a way that is affordable and that people are able to access it. And then if they want to go deeper, then I offer, you know, individual coaching. I have a couple of new programs that I'm working on that hopefully will launch this fall, including sort of like a group coaching option where people can take the course and then have a weekly call. And then I also have a really exciting little product box coming out because a lot of times I'm working with people who aren't nearby. So I'm not treating them. I can't give them acupuncture or do any of the hands-on modalities. So early in the pandemic, I put this little course together and I did it just for my patients and my amazing husband was like driving all over town, dropping off boxes of ear seeds and gua sha tools and moxa and stuff to all these patients. We were all trying to figure out what do we do? And so I have turned this little box of goodies that I was giving to all of my um, students at that time 
into a little box that people are able to purchase. And then throughout the course, there's little lessons of like, here's how you can use Moxa to help if you have pain, you know, when you're, if you're having cramps or if you're trying to warm up your uterus, or there's a lot of different ways that we use these different tools. Gua Sha, which are those little flat tools that everybody sees, and they're oftentimes um, used for the face, you know, in 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 the West or in the way that we're perceiving. But Gua Sha is actually a really wonderful method for stimulating blood flow to any part of the body. So um, I have cured a lot of headaches using Gua Sha by really just bringing wow crazy amount of blood flow into the neck and back um, is my husband's preferred way of getting rid of a, like a tension headache versus medication. Um, I use it a lot on patients who have like a pain and abdominal cramping. I had a postmenopausal patient who was having a lot of cramping the other day and we did a bunch of gua sha on her belly and she texted me the next day and she was like, I'm spotting. <laughs> so, you know, it's some pretty amazing things can happen when things, when with some of these tools and the truth is that these tools are, they're kind of like, you know, kitchen table medicine or kitchen cab. What do we call that? Home pharmacy, barefoot doctor, whatever you want to call it. Like these are modalities that traditionally have been passed down. You know, people's grandmas would cup their backs or do gua sha. You know, I've been doing gua sha and cupping on my son since he was a baby. Anytime he has a cold or a cough. So this is kind of another way. I mean, I think Part of my, um, I feel like mission might be too strong of a word, but my intention, at least right now in my career, is to try and like get the get the sort of fancy bougie stuff out of wellness so much and allow people to have a little bit more access to this for themselves. And also that, you know, kind of reevaluate what it means to take care of yourself. Because I think in our end stage capital capitalism world that we're all sort of stuck in right now there's this idea that self-care means like a massage on monday and your nails done on tuesday and yoga five days a week in the studio and then you got to go to acupuncture and don't forget your tarot card reading and first of all like nobody can afford that only people who are really wealthy and have a ton of time can access all that stuff and I just don't think, I think that it's gotten a little bit perverted, a little bit distorted what it means to take care of oneself. I think we talked about this the other day that like, to me, oftentimes self-care is like balancing your checkbook, you know, or yeah. um, getting enough sleep or telling a friend <clears throat> you felt frustrated with, you know, what's going on and getting it off your chest that self-care isn't necessarily spending $150 every time you turn around so somebody can validate your, your experience experience or your, you know, tell you that, yeah, what, what the psychics, what your spirit guides told you in your head is true. And that, you know, the tarot card reading for 300 bucks is going to confirm that those things are fun and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it takes a lot of people out of the present moment and is a lot of sort of bypassing of what we're really supposed to be experiencing and in, in our day-to-day -day life like life isn't easy and we can't just bypass it by spending all our money on people who are claiming to heal us and I've thought about this so much in the last few years especially because it's been excruciatingly painful for me watching 
a lot of the wellness industry like kind of go in a QAnon direction and unwittingly align themselves very much with right-wing propaganda and the notion that you know there's this like deep state state conspiracy and that everyone's out to kill us with their their vaccines and public health policies and it's been really disheartening to witness that and i um sort of unintentionally have become a little bit of a pusher backer against that stuff within the people within my own field and the conclusion that i've come to really is that you know certainly not all holistic medicine is created equal absolutely not all training is created equal there are so many un inadequately trained people out there hanging out shingles and saying that they can heal you and make your life better or whatever it is and I just think it all needs to be reevaluated. I, I wish we could just throw the whole thing in the garbage and start over because it's gotten so out of control. And But what I can also come back to for myself is that Chinese medicine isn't, quote unquote, wellness. Chinese medicine is a complete system of medicine. It's intended to help people when they're sick. You don't, or when they're, you know, struggling in some way. We do offer preventive care and that what preventive care really means is are you realigning your nervous system on a regular basis so that you're not stuck in flight or flight and setting your body up for illness. So preventive care is important, but it's not like you have to keep medicating yourself all the time. You, know, you come to acupuncture once a month when you're well and come more often when you're not well. You can take herbs when you are trying to achieve something like a pregnancy or you have a head cold or you have the stomach flu, but you don't need to take herbs every day of your life because it's actually medicine. You know, supplements are valuable when you have a supplement deficiency in your body, but you don't need to take supplements every day of your life. You should eat a healthy diet instead, you know, try to get everything you need from food and supplements are supposed to supplement your nourishment. And so- that's really a lot of what I feel like my, at least my um, my worldview has evolved throughout this pandemic to want things to be a little more egalitarian. And that doesn't mean that I don't still see acupuncture patients and I don't still charge that fee. I do because I have to. That's my, you know, I'm, I am part of this capitalist society, whether I like it or not. But I have been working on how can I reach more people and allow people more access to these methods that can be really helpful, even if all they provide is a slowing down enough to really look at, you know, what ear seeds would make sense for me today. I'm feeling anxious and I have a stomach ache and I'm super tired. Okay, I'm gonna look at this little chart. I'm gonna put them in for myself and have that be, you know, and even if all it is is a reminder of something to push on throughout the day and that becomes a touchstone that calms your nervous system down, like that's sufficient even if it's not in the perfect spot, but that we just start finding ways to that self-care becomes about taking care of ourselves and checking in with ourselves, but not necessarily about having to go out and like blow every penny we ever made on every healer under the sun. I am so glad that you're saying this because I, I have dabbled in pretty much every modality that you've mentioned. And I uh -huh. love them all so, so, so much. But I had this aha moment recently where I went, am I using these tools as a crutch 
Or are they supplementing my relationship with myself, my intuition, my relationship with God and the universe? That relationship and that care of self, I have come to realize should and needs to come first. Mm -hmm. And then as an extension of that, you know, if it is within one's means, depending upon which modality you want to go to first, then you can, you know, expand on whatever it is that might be going on in your life within reason, right? Like this is on a, on a normal average, like quasi average day, not like when, not if someone's like truly ill. Right. Um, but I, I think it's so refreshing your perspective on that because, um, I would say that I am a guinea pig for both sides of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so many of us are, I mean, there's, there's a lot of really interesting people doing really interesting work around this topic. And, you know, a lot of it stems around the way that yoga came to the West and that the yoga studio, especially for a lot of, you know, suburban and urban women in particular, uh, a lot of, women in the sort of category of moms, childbearing years, that kind of thing. Yoga has, and for a lot of people, replaced religion or become sort of their spiritual path. And there are so much incredible um, wisdom to be gleaned from the yogic traditions. And I think it's amazing if you're like sitting down and learning the sutras and actually studying it and understanding the roots of yoga and yoga in the the way that we see it here in the United States is not actually yoga. <laughs> like yoga doesn't have hip hop music to it, or we don't purposely heat a room up to the point where you're going to sweat out all the water in your bloodstream. Which is my personal favorite. Is it? <laughs> that is very not Chinese medicine. We don't love that. It's like you're losing all your yin. Um, but I know it's very popular, but you know, that, 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 that kind that, that the yogic tradition has been also kind of twisted and distorted in the West. It's become a very, very profitable thing. It is, it is a lot about spiritual bypass and that, you know, the bottom line is that this is what I really think is, and I'm trying to teach this to my 15 year old son so that he doesn't have to learn it when he's 45, like everybody else that life is super hard, you know, that there's just, it's not, life is difficult and it's not fair and there's no easy way around that. And so when we utilize these things to manage the challenges of life, that's great. But when we utilize these things, when we have to do, when we have to do these things that are physically so strenuous and demanding or that are so expensive every single day or multiple times in a week in order to feel like we can stand on our own two feet, there's a problem. And that's not wellness. That's wellness kind of trying to um, exploit people's vulnerabilities from my, from my perspective. And we all need to learn how to, how to just be okay with discomfort, be okay with life, not always working out, be okay with, criticism uh or constructive criticism when somebody doesn't like what how what we're doing or whatever so i think that there's a um there's just a massive shift that needs to take place in a collective sense and we've kind of lost the plot in the wellness industry a little bit and so that's 
that's a lot of where I feel like I'm coming from around this is like, everybody take a breath, take a step back, evaluate the, you know, 10 things that you're doing and knock out eight of them mm-hmm. and figure out what's really important for you. And then, and then for the rest of that time, do it for yourself, sit down and do your own meditation in the morning or take a walk in nature or, you know, do some acupressure on your ears or put in those ear seeds, you know, that I'm happy to send you or do a little gua sha on your belly when it hurts. You don't have to go out and have somebody else do all these things for you all the time. You don't need a panel of healers to be your um, salvation. You have to be your own salvation in a world that is hard in a world that isn't going to give you, you know, roses and and cake for breakfast every day. It's just not how it works. And so if we can just get a little bit more into that place of accepting that like we're in a we're in a crap time right now. <laughs> but I don't think we're gonna pull ourselves out of it from silent yoga retreats anymore. You know, we really have to come together and put which isn't to say that there's not a place for those things. There is. It's just when it gets abused, when it becomes an entire way of living. Um including around food stuff too you know there's so much orthorexia which is a term we don't even use very frequently people look at me like sideways when i say it to them i think you're you're behaving in a way that's a little orthorexic for people don't know what that means it's when you have like a an inability or a phobia of consuming anything that you don't perceive to be healthy and amazing for your body you know so it's like it being obsessed with adaptogens and juices and you know everything has to be clean and organic and and again it's just to me another place where things have gone a little haywire here because it's 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 really elitist and really ableist to say that you know i'm healthy and other people are not healthy because they don't eat the way that I eat, or I'm going to die if I eat this Pop-Tart. Like, I don't think anyone should really be eating Pop-Tarts on a regular basis, but whatever. If you wake up at the courtyard Marriott and you feel like eating a Pop-Tart, eat the Pop-Tart. You <laughs> die. So it's so funny on almost every single one of our episodes, the concept of permission comes up uh-huh. and, and as you were articulating yourself, I'm like, yep, permission, permission. Here we are again, permission. I think that as an entrepreneur, that concept of permission, I used to not give to myself. Now it is such an eco, it is not part, it's part of the ethos of who I am and of my brand and my multiple companies. What is your relationship with permission? And has it always been this healthy? Because I would argue that you're, what you were just articulating to us, as far as permission goes, is very, very, very healthy. Well, thank you. I, I, doubt it's no I mean no no it's not always been this healthy (laughs) (laughs) yeah I've been through a lot of the you know I've been through probably a million different iterations of my relationship to all of this stuff I think I did start observing early on though that there are a subset of people that I'm relatively surrounded by who do not necessarily have that kind of a healthy relationship um, to them to themselves or to the decisions that they make that is still really mired in this idea of how things should look or how things should be. I think for myself, 
huge shift has come around in the last few years too, around this pandemic. And, and I also have, you know, I feel like I just have this bizarrely sort of unique um, bunch of different little things that make up me. I mean, we all have those things, but the fact that I'm in the wellness industry is almost ironic to some extent because I have had so much exposure to Western medicine in my life and so much actual familial as well as personal need for it. Um, and at the same time, that's, I think that's why I come from this place of like, but my, my need for medical care and support is definitely buoyed by the fact that I do try to eat well and take care of myself and, you know, ha get enough sleep at night and do all those things. So I think it's, like I said, it's very much both things together, but I have this weird disability. I have a disease called CMT, which is a peripheral neuropathy. <clears throat> it's hereditary. I, I got it from both of my parents and it, it's basically causing the muscles in my feet and eventually my hands to get really weak and kind of numb. And being, coming to terms with what that means, that like maybe one day I'm not going to be able to walk so great. I already don't walk so great, but I can still walk. Um, that kind of staring that down has shifted so much for me in terms of, you know, what does it mean to be healthy and well, and also how much wellness um, really enables ableism. And so I think that that is a lot of what has shifted things for me. Like I, if I could tell you the number of people who, you know, when I share my diagnosis, which is a genetic disorder. And what that means is that my body, like the recipe that makes up me is missing an ingredient and that ingredient is not replacing itself. And therefore it's causing my nerves to stop functioning properly short of gene therapy, which would be a medical miracle. There's nothing that's going to solve this problem for me. I just have to take good care of myself and like prepare, you know what I mean? Like prepare for what may happen in the future. Um, and I feel okay about it. I've had this my whole life. Like I, I'm fine, but the number of people that I, I have encountered who will say things to me like, well, maybe you just need to get your chi moving more or why don't you do some ankle raises? And I'm like, dude, my feet are paralyzed. Like I can't do ankle raises. How about instead I find really great braces and continue to walk like a badass. Like I don't need to, I'm not emotionally upset about this. I'm, I'm fine, but there's so much discomfort from within the wellness industry with sickness or with anything with imperfection, you know, or the idea that something could go sideways. They, everybody wants there to be an answer or a solution. And that's not, it, that just comes back to that whole concept. Like life isn't exactly fair. And so you can, not everything can be fixed with, in a, in a literal sense, it can only be fixed in yourself and in your own heart and, you know, telling people to go take care of themselves in ways telling somebody who's you know overweight and diabetic that unless they turn that around you know they don't deserve to live through this pandemic for example which was like such one of you know such a through line within the you know people who are sick or have it's only people who are sick and have pre-existing conditions that are dying so we're not going to worry about it it's like um how do you decide who those people are like Technically speaking, I am one of them now. I I have this 
condition that while COVID may not put me at greater risk of dying than someone else, you know, people are, some people are having major nerve problems from COVID. And so I'm really at risk of that. I, I'd rather not lose my foot or whatever over this. And so some things are just, that's just the way it is for me. And I think there's that that's a lot of what the wellness industry has lost the plot on. It's like, let's be here now. We're not aliens. We can't change our DNA. We, we can't turn ourselves into invincible beings that are going to live forever. You don't know more than all of the scientists since the Renaissance. You don't. So sit down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's all get back on the same page, which is trying to move our entire species forward in a way that allows the planet to continue to thrive. So we have a place to live and stop getting at this sort of like chronic individualism and individual care, self-care, the me, 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 me of it all. It makes me lose my mind. And I do think that coming to terms with being in a kind of weird body that isn't going to do all the things that I other people's bodies are going to do over time has been a real eye-opener for me around that. And, and that's been the thing that probably more than anything else has shifted my mindset that, you know, we're all, we're all just trying to live in this challenging world. So let's take care of each other, not just ourselves. Oh my gosh, you are such a wealth of knowledge and transparency and vulnerability and we could go on for five more shows <laughs> and, <laughs> that would be and fun. <laughs> I know and I'm so bummed that it's already been an hour but I'm also so grateful for you and your time and thank you for sharing so much about your practice about your knowledge about your profession about yourself you're spectacular thank you so oh, much Laura thank you so much where have a great can we, day. Where can we find you? Oh, sure. Yeah, you can find me. My website is mothernurturela.com. My brand is Mother Nurture Wellness. And you can find me also on Instagram and Facebook at Mother Nurture Wellness. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm racing there right now and I'm so not in the market for childbirth, but, <laughs> but, but when that time That's does okay. come, you know, menopause is the other side of all that. And <laughs> I, I turned 50 this year. I, and all of a sudden I'm getting all these perimenopause cases. I'm like, well, I think this is going to be the, the next phase of my career will actually be helping us all not be so sweaty. Oh That's my, my gosh. Goal. Well, in all of those phases, I will most certainly have you on speed dial because you are such an expert. Thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great day. My goodness, you guys, that interview was just incredible. A huge thank you to Laura for coming on the show. And another big thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and producers at Island City Media. If you like this episode, as we all know that I did, you can listen to it again and again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people and conversations just like Laura that you love. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at Marin Costello Radio Instagram and MarinCostello.com. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you so, so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week.